You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight the Vikings with Mike Wobshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network. Focus on injuries with Will Carroll and provide your fantasy fix. We're going to kick off the podcast today by letting our producer be the judge in a segment we call Average Abe. One co-host was the most versatile quarterback of his generation. The other co-host is an Emmy award-winning media elite. How hard could it be? I'm a Stanford grad. I'm a genius. But who speaks for the fans on NFL No Huddle? Let's turn to a man whose football knowledge is better than most, but not as exceptional as he believes. Average Abe. And a man who I suspect is already mailing it in because in just over 30 minutes, he's on vacation. Super producer Abe Gordon. Abe, where do you want to start? Uh, I'd like to start in the Caribbean, but uh, we're not going to go there yet. We're actually going to go to the frigid north of Green Bay and the NFC North. And the question, and we're going to start with you, Cordell, with Aaron Rodgers returning for the Packers, do you think they will make it out of the NFC and reach the Super Bowl? No, that answer is no. And here's the reason why. Um, I think they'll play inspired football, but here's the question. The question is, one, will he make it past the Carolina Panthers game uh, after sustaining an injury that kept him out for every bit of eight to nine weeks. Uh, one of the better defenses in the National Football League in the Carolina Panthers. They're having to travel on the road to Carolina and play against this team that we've seen uh, play some really good football when it comes down to playing against the mobile quarterback because they have one of their own. Then they have to play against the Minnesota Vikings who's arguably will have one of the better defenses in the National Football League. And I think the team is a much better football team overall. I know they lost to the Carolina Panthers, and some will say the turnovers, the turnovers. But I want to talk about the defense and the plays uh, that they've allowed Carolina to get, which was two big runs and one big catch by Funches thrown from Cam Newton and cost him and lose that football game. Very uncharacteristic of that football team. I don't think they'll show up and play that lousy again in Detroit. I think they may edge Detroit, uh, but they have to go on the road and play them there. Uh, the question is for me, the biggest question of the, the day for me is, is will he be healthy enough to be able to play for three weeks, let alone what's taking place throughout the entire NFC? Look at the Cowboys. They're sitting there as a wild card team, potentially having a chance. Look at the Seattle Seahawks. They have to play against the Rams. We don't know for sure which one's going to win that division, and you see how that one looks. And also the NFC South when you have the Atlanta Falcons, the New Orleans Saints, as well as the Carolina Panthers who they have to play. So I think by them not being able to win sooner, by not having Aaron Rodgers in. I think that will be an issue, one. And two, I don't know for sure if they'll be able to run off the next three games to really solidify their opportunity, true opportunity, to hope that they can have the chance to get into the playoffs. So I think there's too much against them, and it's too much of an uphill climb for them to actually make it. Stunning. Cordell would take a stance that's anti-Aaron Rodgers. I've not heard that on this program before. But I digress. Let's take it one step at a time. Will the Packers even make it to the postseason? All I can tell you is what they can control, and that's win the game Sunday on the road in Carolina. Tough test, but you know I'm riding with Aaron Rodgers. 
Then it's a short week, folks. They play Minnesota at Lambeau Field next Saturday, part of the long holiday weekend. But we know that Rodgers will be revved up for retribution and, dare I say, a chance to outplay Case Keenum. Certainly that's going to happen. Then the Packers go to Detroit. They shouldn't call that Ford Field. It should be Aaron Rodgers' place. He owns that building. He's got the deed. You know how well he's played head-to-head over the years against the Lions and specifically on the road in Detroit. So that's all the Packers can control. If, here's a big if, and I'm hedging, but I want us to be comprehensive with our analysis. If they make it to the postseason as a wild card, undeniably they're going to the Super Bowl. Who's going to stop them in the NFC? Case Keenum and the Vikings? Okay. Sounds good. I know there's somebody else on this show who says Case Keenum differently than I do, but I'm going to stay in character. As much as I believe that Nick Foles can hold Philadelphia together, Aaron Rodgers can go to Philadelphia and defeat an Eagles team that no longer has Carson Wentz. What about the Rams if you believe they're winning that division? You're going to ride with Jared Goff in his playoff debut this year or Aaron Rodgers look around the rest of the NFC yes the Saints are playing quality football but Aaron Rodgers will not be intimidated if he and the Packers have to go to that cauldron that is the Superdome so the big question is will the Packers even get in I can't tell you if that's going to happen because they have to win out and I think they're going to need some help but undeniably if they get into what John Gruden annoyingly calls the tournament If they get into the postseason, this team as a wild card is going to win, win, win no matter what. And Aaron Rodgers is going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think actually Brian is correct here. I think you're looking at a team that might need a little help to get in. But once they are in, they are going to be troubled. You're talking about a team that only lost one game here before the Rodgers injury that was to my Atlanta Falcons and that was a Sunday night game so they are dangerous if that shoulder uh, can can take uh, the hits and all that stuff I think Webb's right so he's going to get the point here if they get in they're going to be dangerous which means us to our next question here number two Cordell which defense first team has the better offense the Vikings or the Jaguars Ooh, that's a good one which would the good defense have the better? I'm going with the Vikings. I mean, if you look at I know they're comparing the two between Case Keenum and Blake Bortles. I don't think there's a chance because Case Keenum has been pretty efficient other than a couple games this year that caused most to have questions playing against the Washington Redskins, having two turnovers. And in his last game, he had another two to three turnovers. One came right off the helmet of his receiver in digs. He had the ball caught, bounced off the helmet into the defender's hands. He steps back in the pocket. The left tackle gets beat. All of a sudden, he gets ready to throw the football. It's tipped by the hand of one of the defensive ends coming off the edge for the Carolina Panthers and the other one was just an interception. I say that he turned the football over three times, but this team has been winning because of Case Keenum. And yes, we know Blake Bortles had a good game in his last game against the Seattle Seahawks, but not enough. They win in spite of Blake Bortles, but Case Keenum and the Minnesota Vikings are playing some of the best football in the National Football League. The best defense is with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but the better offense, I would say, because of the receiving core, because of the tight end position, because of the running back position, along with the QB position, I think 
you have Case Keenum who comes in the game with a tremendous amount of confidence because of what he has around him. Uh, and I think he plays better, makes much better decisions, uh, even was in the conversation of if he were to be able to go on the road to beat the Carolina Panthers, could he have a chance to be in the MVP conversation? Have we once ever said that about Blake Bortles coming out of UCF and now playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars? And you better believe it, Tom Coughlin saved his life and I love what he's doing. But Case Keenum is about as good as it gets when it comes to these two. And better than most in the National Football League. Back to you. All right, obviously Christmas is upon us early. Abe just gave you a very premature Christmas <laughs> gift. Put it on a tee for you. Even though I am an emerging hot take artist filled with lava, I can't construct a pro-Jacksonville offensive argument, especially, fellas, because Leonard Fournette missed practice again today, second consecutive day, unable to go with the quad injury. Just file that one away for the postseason. They're going to beat Houston either way at home with or without Fournette. If Abe was not already on vacation, Cordell, here's how he should have phrased the question. Go ahead. When you factor in their defenses... Which team do you have more faith in to get into the end zone? Because if I'm also going to talk about the points being scored based on their ability to create turnovers, Jacksonville's defense is getting into the end zone with a degree of regularity. So if we want to pose the question that way, sure, I'll ride with my Jaguars. But even I, on top of a mountain filled with sizzling hot takes, projecting, I'm not yelling, I'm not bellowing. I'm projecting. I can't prop up any pro Blake Bortles arguments. So I'll tap out here. I'm sure Cordell is one. Make it officially. Cordell, what's the name of this segment here? <laughs> it's Abe's. It's your show. It's Average your segment, Abe. Not the wondrous Weber. Wonderful Weber. <laughs> they come go. in changing you know my questions. They're trying to clean it up, up for yourself, the good of the Abe. show. We are not Continue changing the Abe. questions. By default, you segment. are uh, disqualified. And Cordell gets point number one. He is on the board as well. Moving to question number three, Cordell. Sounds this good. weekend's game, the Rams and the Seahawks, a big one in the NFC West. Will the winner of the Rams-Seahawks game go on to win the NFC West? This is what I will say. Um, hmm, that's a good one because Seattle did win uh, the very first one at the Coliseum. I'm going to go out on a limb to say whoever win this game, hmm, no. Yeah, you know what? Whoever wins this game actually goes on and win uh, the NFC uh, West. And the team that will win this game, I'm going with the Rams. I say they go on the road. They get a big win against the Seattle Seahawks uh, because I think this defense is more solid than this defense you have uh, with the Seattle Seahawks, not having Cam Chancellor, not having Richard Sherman, uh, not having a steady dose of a running game, lack of creativity, Um I think that will be the demise of this football team when it comes down to being able to advance to any level uh, when it comes down to the things that they're lacking when it comes to deficiencies, whether it's a quality running game. And not, I don't mean the quarterback being the runner, but when you look at this Rams football team, what are they lacking? Yes, I know they lost against Seattle. I know they lost against the Minnesota Vikings. I know they lost against the Philadelphia Eagles. But if there's a football team that's capable of getting it done, not just by one guy on offense, but by a multitude of players on that side of football, whether it's Cooper Cup, whether it's Sammy Watkins, whether it's Todd Gurley, who's coming into his own to make some good plays, and last but not least, the quarterback in Jared Goff, who's actually turned his career around with having Sean McVay. I think Wade Phillips, he does a phenomenal job of understanding 
understanding how important it is to get this win. But this Ram football team, I have to tell you, I believe in what they're capable of doing. They're not afraid to go on the road and play very well. Right now, as of today, they've only lost one game on the road, and that one game they lost on the road was against the Minnesota Vikings, where they lost 24-7. Other than that, they've won every single game on the road. So this team is not afraid to actually have to go on the road and play well. Because they're going on the road to play against the Seattle Seahawks, I think they get that win as well as they continue on and beat teams like the Tennessee Titans and also the San Francisco 49ers. Back to you. I like that argument better when I said it last week and I was defending the Rams, pointing out even though they lost to Seattle at home at the historic L.A. Memorial Coliseum, the Rams committed five turnovers in that game, still almost won it. The ball was right in the hands of Cooper Cup in the end zone, couldn't hang on. But... For the good of the show, and because you know, say it with me, I say what I mean, I mean what I say. I don't think the Rams are ready for primetime. They're going to go to the playoffs. They're going to be a wild card. But I'm riding with Russell Wilson at home because it's all in front of Seattle. Yes, I know they lost on the road in Jacksonville. They've not fared well in games not played in the Emerald City of Seattle this year. But Russell Wilson had three interceptions in that game against the Jags. He's not going to do it again against the Rams. And here's now the scenario for Seattle. They went out starting with the victory over the Rams on Sunday. They win the division, and it's plausible. Now, they're going to have to go to Dallas. Yes. And the headline in that game is the return of Ezekiel Elliott. Has Ezekiel Elliott been working out? I don't know. He's not even been in the country. Uh Uh-huh. He took himself international and said, I want to have a full break from football. So I got to see it. I'm not just going to crown the Cowboys. I can't crown anybody because the microphone will fall off its moorings and the show will come to a halt. I'll believe in Seattle to win that game. And then they're certainly going to beat Arizona at home in the regular season finale. So yes, we're in agreement. Winner of this game is winning the division. To me, it's Seattle because I don't like what I saw out of both. Sean McVay as a play caller. He had the lead at home late in the game against Philadelphia, and he could not figure out the gravity of the moment. Run the football, coach. Why are you putting it in the hands of Jared Goff, who committed the costly turnover? Seattle will lean on their playoff experience because let's tell it like it is, guys. These are playoff games right now for Seattle. Win out, they win the division, and that starts with a victory at home on Sunday against the Rams. You both went with winner of this game will win the NFC West, but you chose different teams to win the game. So I'm going to vote on that aspect of which team I think is more likely to win the NFC West based on this game alone, and that is the Rams. I think the Rams are in better shape, uh, and I'm the opposite of you, uh, Brian. To be honest, I really think the Cowboys are going to knock off the Seahawks at home. So even if the Seahawks get the win at home this week against the Rams and move into the tie in the NFC West with the tiebreakers head-to-head, I think they drop that game at Dallas. I think the Rams win their final two, so I think the Rams will go on to win the West, uh, and I think they may actually go on to win this game as well. Question number four. Another game this weekend of uh, big significance in the overall picture. Will the winner of this week's game between the Patriots and the Steelers go on to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? <sighs> the answer is going to be yes. I think that will happen because this is what happens for me when watching this football game. The Pittsburgh Steelers 
even though they win very ugly at times, um, they can draw from something uh, that allows them to know that at any time, with time on the clock, and if they are in reach, they can win some football games. I know they play down to their to their their opponents, and I know they play up to their opponents. And this is a time right now where you have a newly Patriots football team that's pretty wounded. And I know they have the coaches on the sideline uh, to be able to create whatever it is they need to create in order for it to work. But I think at this point in time in the year, you saw a few deficiencies on this New England Patriots defense, which we hadn't seen, which we actually saw starting out week one when they played against the Kansas City Chiefs. Had an opportunity to see Kareem Hunt run all over that defense, and we had a chance to see Kenyon Drake do the same thing against them down in Miami. When you look at that defense, you have to wonder, who are they truly when it comes down to having to have the matchups that they would like to have to be able to make the stops when it all comes down to the bitter end? I think the Steelers have a tremendous amount of talent on offense, whether you're talking about Martavis Bryant, whether you're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, who's back, and also Antonio Brown. You have Jesse James. You have Roosevelt Nix. You have Le'Veon Bell. And last but not least, you have the old man on the offense of, at, at the offense of, of leader position. Position, and that's in uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And this offensive line has truly been stellar, stellar, stellar. Excuse me. And defensively, they found a way to get it done without Ryan Shazier, who is the run stopper. This team in New England does not run the football. They rely heavily on running the football. Even Brian Weber said the quarterback in Tom Brady looks a little old. He wasn't the only one. A lot of them did. But I like to come back and say, it's not that he's old. I just think the Miami Dolphins had his number. So I think the energy and, 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 and the inspiration from what happened to Ryan Shazier, I think will follow this team through their run of being not just the AFC champions, but also the Super Bowl champions when it's all said and done in the end, regardless of who's playing out of the NFC. And as I said before, it may be a Pennsylvania Super Bowl because Philadelphia and also the Pittsburgh Steelers may be in. But that's another question and another answer for another day. But I'm going with the black and yellow to make a credible run to winning, matter of fact, going to the Super Bowl and also winning it because they have the talent. If they don't do it now, they will never have another opportunity again because this offense is about as good as it gets. Matter of fact, as great as it gets, ever since Ben Roethlisberger has been there with the Steelers. So this is the, the time is now, the window is open, and I think they walk through that thing. It's going to be tough. But I think because of this win, it's going to catapult him into getting into the Super Bowl. Right, now in this segment, we have to work like an FBI profiler and think using the twisted mind of Abe Gordon. This was a trick question, my friend. You had to listen closely. Oh, I did. Go ahead. Here's how Abe thinks. Sadly, I'm thinking like him, and it hurts my brain. That's why the segment Steelers is so going to win Go this game, theoretically, even though the guys in the desert have the Patriots as the favorite team. Steelers win. But that doesn't guarantee anything, even if they wind up having home field advantage, because I know how Abe thinks he's going to ride with the Patriots in the postseason based on the head-to-head success Bill Belichick has had over the Steeler organization dating back to when you were the stellar quarterback. So the answer Abe is looking for, and I'll give it to him because I want a point, i got to overcome this deficit, is <laughs> no. Even if the Steelers win, they're not going to the Super Bowl. The loser of this game's in great shape. So, Abe, give us your final resolution. Hey, did you hear that? He Cordell, said, he's so good. Lose, I'll tell so you what, he's Steelers good, game, Cordell. Right? He's pretty good. Uh, Patriots are going to lose because it's in uh, Pittsburgh. I also had this crazy theory that uh, they've been hiding stuff for three weeks now. 
No, you're they, insane. They didn't want to show anything against the Dolphins. They're going to win the like, AFC, their division. They're not going to show anything to Pittsburgh because they know they're going to get Pittsburgh again in the playoffs one way or another. So Pittsburgh may win uh, here, but the uh, the Patriots have something up their sleeve. They're saving it for the Super Bowl or, or for the AFC Championship game. So Brian evens the score at 2-2. Two to two. That was a terribly constructed question, but I'll take the victory. What's next? We'll keep it simple here. Who's going to win the league MVP, Cordell Stewart? Whoa, that's a very <clears> – <throat> excuse me. That's a very good one. Oh, my goodness. There's Antonio Brown. There's a Ben Roethlisberger. There is no Aaron Rodgers. How about that one, Brian Weber? Uh, there is a Tom Brady. Uh, this, this is what I'll say. And this is a really hard one because when you lose Carson Wentz, um, when you end up having a Tom Brady losing, you have players like Antonio Brown who, who's just basically is just knocking a, the block off of, of, of everything that you can achieve as a receiver. And also being that type of a player – uh, that can actually be a difference maker in the game because that's what it boils down to. Are you a difference maker in the games that you play in? And I think with the victory that they will get this weekend uh, against the New England Patriots, I think we'll break the ice with finally putting a receiver in that conversation to having a chance to be in the MVP of the National Football League. But I don't think that will be the case. I'm going to go with Tom Brady in this one. And the only reason why I say that is because of everything that he's had to endure, regardless of what it's been, he has always been able to rise to the occasion because Carson Wentz and Tom Brady was in that conversation. Because the Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks this weekend, I think that's where Russell Wilson actually falls off the map. I would love to put Case Keenum in that conversation, but because they lost to the Carolina Panthers, it's no way possible to do it. So the only guy you have that really sticks out like a sore thumb, that's the most productive in the National Football League as of today is Antonio Brown, but because it's very rare that you give it to a wide receiver, it means he has to put up 200 yards against New England and 200 yards against the next few teams that they have left in this season. I think Tom Terrific ends up having the opportunity to be the MVP of the National Football League because he's 40 and he's still playing good football. It's going to be a great matchup against the Steelers. Not enough to get the victory. I don't think it'll be enough for Antonio Brown to even get the nod because I don't think he's going to have that big of numbers like he had this past weekend against the Ravens. I think Tom Brady still ends up nodding Antonio Brown for the MVP in the National Football League. The answer is Russell Wilson, based on what I told you not too long ago about Seattle winning out and winning the division. He has become Aaron Rodgers-esque in Seattle, carrying this team. We keep hammering on this stat. He's been the leading rusher throughout the season and all the more impressive when you consider he's doing it without both Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. The identity of this football team has changed. We spent so much time in the offseason talking about the notion of a divided locker room in Seattle, the defense resenting the offense, going back to the worst play call in the history of the Super Bowl. Give it to Marshawn Lynch. Give it to Marshawn Lynch. Well, everything's changed, and Russell Wilson is carrying this team, and he's going to carry them to a division title, and he's going to win the MVP. Cordell, I will give you an early Christmas gift as well, and we'll talk about this much more next week. If you're right, and the Chargers are victorious on the road in Kansas City on Saturday night, and the Chargers win their fifth consecutive game, if they come all the way back to win that division, 
What are we doing with Philip Rivers as an MVP candidate? Remember, the Chargers are trying to become just the second team in the modern era of the NFL to start the year at 0-4 and make the playoffs. If they win that division, Rivers has to finish in the top four in the MVP ballot. I think more like a Melvin, a Melvin Ingram or even a, 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 or Joey Bosa. Yeah, but defensive players never win it. I'll give you the two guys in the history <sighs> of the NFL, Alan Page and Lawrence Taylor. They're not going to win it, plus they'd split votes. But is he the reason why they're actually playing this good? But quarterbacks always get all the credit. And that's where Tom Brady comes in. Go ahead, Abe. You, you could have kept going on that, uh, on that Philip Rivers. I might have listened to you there. But as we mentioned a couple questions ago, I don't think uh, Russell Wilson uh, is going to beat uh, the Rams this weekend. I also think they're going to lose to the Cowboys. That will remove him for, from consideration of the MVP. And even with a loss to the uh, Steelers uh, on Sunday, Tom Brady is still there. Uh, so Cordell takes a one-point lead heading into our final question. And Cordell, our final question today... <laughs> What is the best Christmas or holiday song of all time? Uh, which one? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire to Brian and Abe from 92 to time carols many times, many ways. Merry Christmas to you. Go ahead. Now, That's what's it. the title of that song, Cordell? Oh, I, I, you didn't you're answer the hand question. this over to Webb on no, no. default, he not just knowing sang the a name. Song. He didn't give me the title. Oh man, I, I can't. I can't, I can't think of the song. <laughs> you didn't you answer the question. Should have picked a song you knew then. Uh, um, that was the one I really knew and the one I really love. Uh, go ahead, Brian Weber. I give it to you to marry. Why are you giving you. it to me? You're the crooner on this show. Oh, I, I, I can't. I can't give it to you. Let me see. Uh, I don't know. Go ahead. Well, let's it's play a holy the jolly Christmas. Okay, that's and a good a happy, one. <laughs> and a happy day New Year. You want to try? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Give me a little of that. Uh, is that it? A different song. I just gave it to it's you. It's the most wonderful time of the no, year. No, that, that's not the, that is not the song. Not You're not going to tell the kids about that. <laughs> uh, Frosty the Snowman? You want Rudolph? We got a whole songbook in front of us. Oh, let me see. Uh, I can't think of the name of the song, dudes. <laughs> I'm a bummer. It's a tie score. Go ahead, Brian Weber. I can't do it. Cordell, this is easy. <sighs> white Christmas. Give me a little of I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. No, that's not the one. Big Crosby, it not. was the number one song Who cares? of the first half century from 1900 to 1950 in all of recorded music. Uh, go ahead. Get, play it, Abe, if you have it. Can you play it, Abe? You don't know White Christmas? No, I, I don't know Big it. Big Crosby. No. no. The movie I'm- Holiday Inn. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not giving I'm that. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I want to hear it. <laughs> He's trying. The jukebox is not working right now. You've heard the song "White Christmas." I've heard it, but no, I'm, I'm not. I just. You're googling now to find I'm out the title my of your song. song. <laughs> I'm so. I suck so much. This right is now. the quintessential moment Merry in the history of this Christmas. program. It's called "Merry Christmas to You." That's not it. Oh, this is my song, the greatest Christmas okay. and holiday song of all time. Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops This is so good, we should just let it take us to break, Cordell. You know what? It's the holidays. I'll give no, Cordell No, the we're way. not doing No, you're not going to take over this right now. You're going to hush your mouth. That's what you're going to do. Abe. Give me Luther Vandross' Merry Christmas to you, please. 
Uh, he's got Can I Google get a loop of Vandross? Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. I like that. Not Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells are a good one. Uh-huh. Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells rock. Jingle Bells. Go ahead. Give me a little Luther Vandross. Merry Christmas to you. There you go. Yeah. Turn it up a little bit so they can hear it. Go ahead. Jack Frost nipping at there you go. your nose. That's my guy. Yeah. Yuletide That's little Luther, by the way. Being sung by a choir. Now we can take this dress up like Matt Brian Weber. Mistletoes, did you get out of the mistletoe when you were at the party there, Abe? Go ahead. <laughs> right, See, now that is a wonderful holiday sentiment with that Luther. That is about as great as it get right there. Okay. And Luther I'll give Vandross. you the win. No one can fight that one. I'll give you the win because I'm a generous broadcast partner, all right? Hey, what do you like, Abe? Which one did you like better, Abe? Realistically, one of y'all should have picked your mean one, Mr. Grinch, because that's my there favorite. You go. You're a mean time. Grinch on this program. Uh, Mr. Grinch. And sadly, we have to wrap up this <laughs> historic segment. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and St. Pum returns, and I can't believe he caught that, look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories. Miller Light, the original light beer. To be enjoyed from pregame to postgame, it's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by the injury analyst, Will Carroll. Will, in a general sense, what can you tell us about Aaron Rodgers' rehab? How did he come back from a serious injury so rapidly? It's, uh, it's as simple as that. You know, broken bones are pretty simple. I mean, we've all either broken a bone or known someone that's broken a bone. I mean, little Timmy down the street fell off his, uh, his skateboard and broke his collarbone. Uh, maybe somebody you know slipped on the ice and broke their arm. Um, any of those you can think of that... It didn't heal? I'm thinking. No. So that was not yeah, a rhetorical see, question. Bones, but here's the difference, yeah, Will. Little Timmy isn't going to go back on a football field and be that's chased the, around by 300-pound grown men. That's the difference. Now, here's the thing that could happen. The same exact thing that happened before. He got knocked down. The, the force, when he landed on his shoulder, shot through uh, the shoulder itself, caught the collarbone, and something had to give. In this case, it was the bone. You know, we've seen quarterbacks this year, Tom Brady, Jameis Winston, who what gave the, the ligament there in, in the acromioclavicular joint. We've seen this over and over and over. So, yeah, he broke his collarbone. They plated it in place. The plate really doesn't help it heal. It just holds it in place. So he's had about, what, eight weeks now, a little bit more to heal up. That's about right. It's healed enough for them to feel confident that something normal isn't going to make it break. But it wasn't something normal that broke it in the first place. It was him getting hit, landing just the wrong way on it, putting just enough force to snap a bone. That could happen again. Then again, that could happen to quarterback on the other side. That could happen to any quarterback in the league. Uh, Just has Carson Wentz. Anything can happen on any play. So uh, Aaron Rodgers is healthy enough, confident enough, and medically cleared to play. And honestly, watching him throw, he looks good. You know, he's got that little, little foot kick. 
And he was doing that a couple weeks ago, watching uh, the video of him this week in practice. He looked really good to me. He was putting it all on the ball. So I don't think that collarbone is bothering him at all. The thing he needs now is blocking. And that'll be a big part of, of the success for that football team if he can get that just to keep guys off of him because you don't want to see that drive tackle down to the ground again to cause that thing to, to re-injure itself. But Carson Wentz, give us, give us an understanding. We know he's out for the rest of the season, but um, – Give us a timeline of, of when we can anticipate seeing him back after the ACL tear uh, there against the Rams. Yeah, normally this is a six- to nine-month injury. And that nine-month mark puts him back, I think it's like two days after uh, week one. So would it be – I don't want to say rushing it. Would it be on the low end of the timeline to see him back in week one? Yeah. So this is one where – yeah, I'm from Indianapolis, so people telling me guys should be back in week one, uh, I, I immediately kind of twitch. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yes, he's going to be around there. We should see him running and playing football and, and definitely throwing the ball. He'll be, you know, he could do that now. The question is, is he going to be as mobile? Uh, is he going to have to wear a brace? When is he going to back, be back to being Carson Wentz? And that takes a little bit longer. Uh, we've seen in the rehab process guys coming back, but we still don't know how to get them past that mental hurdle of the confidence of knowing that knee. Uh, you know, last time they were out there and running around, it hurt. And now it's better, but you've got to get the mind to, to understand that it, you know, now it's fine. The surgeons did their work. They did a great job. He's got a great surgeon. He's going to have a great rehab. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are equipped to deal with this because they've got a sports science and sports medicine staff second to none. So he's got all the advantages here. Can he come back for week one? I don't know. Can he come back? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but there's always that, that question mark of how is it going to change him? I don't think it's going to. I think Carson Wentz is going to be the kind of smart player that's going to adjust a little bit. Maybe he won't be quite as mobile at first, but I think he's going to be smart, uh, and he's shown such improvement. Uh, I think they're going to know exactly what they're going to get, and I don't think he's going to be out significantly into the season, if at all. Chatting with injury analyst Will Carroll. Will, let's head to Tennessee. What's your view of the Marcus Mariota situation? According to reports, that persistent hamstring injury has flared up yeah. again. Now there's an ankle issue. When he gets to the offseason, is rest going to be the panacea here, or might he need a procedure? No, he's not going to need a procedure. The problem here is that uh, anytime you tear muscle fibers, which is what a, a hamstring strain is, a tearing of the muscle fibers, uh, you're going to have it fill back in with scar tissue. And scar tissue is never as strong, especially at the start. So even if you're doing everything you're supposed to, even if it heals up pretty much to 100%, and you tear it again, if you put the same force, you're going to tear it again. And now you're getting into this cycle of healing and tearing and healing and tearing. And then the scar starts to knot up, and you can have adhesions where things stick together that shouldn't stick together. Uh, that's where sometimes you see guys go in and have to have a cleanup, guys with you know, extensive uh, hamstring strains. The other thing to remember here is that the hamstring is not one muscle. It's, it's actually three muscles in the back there that, that work together uh, at, to kind of raise the heel up in that motion. You've got to have it to run. You've got to have the strength to do it. And he still had that. What he hasn't had is 100% of it. And he's having a hard time, it seems, 
with what's called proprioception, which is the sense of where the leg is in space. It's kind of like if you close your eyes and stick your hand out, you know where it is. You can move it around. You're like, okay, my hand's over to the side, my hand's out in front. He doesn't really know where his leg is, it seems. It seems like he's having a harder time being able to stop and cut and get a sense of where he is in space with that leg. And that's causing a problem because he's making some very awkward movements, which is what I think is leading, even in low-stress situations like practice, is leading to those re-injuries. He just doesn't know where his leg is. Yeah, I, I definitely think that ankle is related. He's overcompensating. Uh, and then by the by this time, by the time we get to mini camp, uh, with, with a little bit of treatment, a little bit of rehab, uh, I don't think it's going to need to be a big deal. But they're definitely going to want to watch it, make sure this doesn't turn into something more serious, something more chronic. One of the bigger games this week is the Steelers versus the New England Patriots. You would think every player would love to be healthy in that game. Joe Hayden, he has a fractured fibula who's trying to actually get on the football field. Do you think he'll be able to make it for that, that big game this weekend? It's going to be close. You know, the fibula is the small bone of the lower leg. Uh, we all think of the shin. That's the tibia. The fibula is on, on, on the outside of that. It uh, doesn't bear as much weight, so you can come back more quickly. Uh, I remember Reggie Bush coming back seven weeks from it. Hayden's right at that. Uh, it's a matter of whether it's functional. Uh, much like with Aaron Rodgers, they're going to take an x-ray. They're going to say, hey, let's, let's see how this is healed. We know where the crack was. Let's see how uh, filled in that is. Is the bone stable, or is there still a little bit that's got to fill in? Uh, At this point in the season, uh, how much do you stretch things out? Uh, Are you thinking about the playoffs? It sure looks like both those teams are going to go in there. And here's the other question. I have a feeling, after watching and talking to people the last couple weeks, that that uh, Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game, this this Pittsburgh team is violent. Uh, And I don't mean that as dirty. Uh, I don't mean that in any sort of negative way. They go out there trying to hit people and, and, you know, within the bounds of the game to hurt people. You know, it used to be that that was typically it. How many times, and Cordell, you probably got the same videos I did when I was a kid, you would always get the blooper video for Christmas, and then you would get the big hits. And you would see these hits that today would make mothers cringe. And, you know, us, we were sitting on the couch laughing about it, thinking it was awesome. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers this year are a, a throwback team towards that violence. Uh, and if I was a team like the, uh, the Patriots trying to stay healthy, get ready for the playoffs, I wouldn't like to see them come in. Well, finally, there's been a lot of discussion about the concussion protocol and how it's being executed based on what happened to Tom Savage last week. And think about the Russell Wilson incident a month ago in Arizona. Do you think some tweaks are needed moving forward? No, what we need to do is enforce the policy. Here's the problem. Okay, in both these situations, the concussion was spotted. They were brought to the sideline and something put down. In one, uh, you know, they said they didn't know all the information. They checked him. He seemed fine, which is crazy to me, and sent him back out there. And then when they got all the information, they saw him twitching on the ground. They said, oh, maybe we should check him again. And then they got a different result. That's problematic for me. Uh, with Wilson, yeah, he, they were, one of the doctors was somewhere else with another guy having a concussion, which is uh, always a problem. You know, you've got more than one guy you're watching, even when it's Russell Wilson. Uh, you can never have it perfect. And I want to give the NFL credit. Every time they've had one of these situations, whether it's Colt McCoy or Case Keenum, and now with this situation, they've always tried to make it better. 
uh, and, and they've adjusted the policy quickly. So I think they'll do that again. But I think the problem is there's always going to be gaps. And when there are gaps, we want to fix it. We're never going to have a 100% solution. What I do think we need to have is some sort of objective measure. We've got to get something. Uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, Modus has a product I'd love to see, but I want to see the NFL do something that we could know. This guy went through an objective test. This guy was tested at this point in the game after we saw this. Uh, why was he tested? What did they see? What were the results? Did this guy score at his baseline or is two points below it so we let him back out there? I think there needs to be a more objective measure that we can quickly uh, see and make sure it's consistent, not just from game to game, but from team to team uh, and from doctor to doctor. Well, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Peter King here from the MMQB. Listen live this Sunday as I join Brian Weber and Nick Ferguson on NFL First and Goal. Over the shoulder, catch to the five, inside the pylon, touchdown. Between the biggest plays from around the league, we'll talk about the biggest storylines from this week's games and cover the day's action in real time. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Mike Wabshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Let's go back to Sunday's loss on the road in North Carolina. And let's credit Cam Newton for making some big plays, but were you surprised to see the Vikings defense have a few major letdowns in that game? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you said it. There were a few big-time letdowns, and that was enough for the Panthers to win the game. And they're, they're uncharacteristic. You know, I think you had a, a linebacker overshoot a gap on Jonathan Stewart's 60-yard touchdown run, and then you had a missed tackle and an uncalled holding penalty on Cam Newton's long run. And then um, one play that's sort of underrated that was a big factor in that game was the Vikings had Cam Newton for what looked like was going to be a sack. He shook free and then found Devin Funches for a touchdown. So, you know, those were three really big plays in the game, uncharacteristic mistakes by us on defense. And then on offense, we dropped two touchdown passes. We gave up six sacks. We were down to – uh, shuffling around our offensive line, and I think that really hampered us in the running game. We got a little left-handed. So, um, you know, that happens sometimes. And we talked, I think it was last week when we were talking, you know, we said the adversity is going to strike at some point. How do you handle it? And I think we'll find out this week how the Vikings can handle adversity because it struck last week in Carolina. I think my question I asked you last week was, uh, could this team come from behind? And uh, remembering they were down by 11 and within two minutes, they actually end up scoring 11 points. And it came down to that one play where you mentioned there wasn't a holding call being made on Cam Newton's 62 yard run, which obviously went on to a a touchdown uh, by Jonathan Stewart. But when seeing that type of a game uh, that was, as you mentioned, uncharacteristic, would you put it on the same wavelength of how New England went on the road to a Miami Dolphins team and, and lost a, a game that was very uncharacteristic and unlike themselves, saying that maybe this week or last week was a game that actually woke this team up and say, hey, you know what, if you want to make a good run, you can't make these types of mistakes. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you said it, Cordell, wake-up call. I mean, you know, for – 
for over two months, Mike Zimmer had to go to work on Monday mornings and figure out after a win how to humble his team. And, you know, you got to work on the psychology of your team throughout the week and knock them down and then build them back up throughout the week. So for eight weeks, Zim had to do that after a win. I think being able to do that after a loss, that, that's a different vibe for him. And you don't want to lose games, but it did give Zim an opportunity to teach and to coach from a different platform coming off a loss. Maybe that's a little silver lining in a loss for the, for the Vikings. Um, of course, you don't, want, you don't want to follow that up with another loss. You only want that teaching point once every every now and then. Um, but it's funny, Cordell, I did think about that question that you asked me. I thought about that when we were down 11 in the fourth quarter, and the highlight that you guys played coming back from break was Keenum to Thielen for 51 yards and a touchdown that pulled us to within five. We got the two-point conversion, got within three. Defense had a stop, got the ball back, and kicked the field goal. So, the Vikings did show some grit, some toughness, and the ability to come back. Um, unfortunately, it was it came up a little short because they only tied it. They weren't able to take the lead. But I do think it was uncharacteristic. That's why I'm not panicking about it, but there are mistakes that need to be fixed. The one difference I will say between the Patriots and Dolphins loss, and this is no disrespect to the Dolphins, is you know the Vikings went on the road to a team that had won eight games, now nine. And, a, and, a, and an MVP quarterback and lost that. That, to me, is a little more excusable. Um, and, and now the Vikings just got to find a way to rebound and beat a team in the Bengals that they are clearly better than. Mike, welcome to my world. Cordell Stewart's officially in your head, and that's a scary proposition because he won't leave, I can <laughs> I, tell you from experience. Well, that's all right. There are worse people to be in my head, but I swear I was that's in right. our radio booth. We were down 11 with four minutes to go, and I'm like, dang, we just talked about this on Thursday. That is the prescience on a Big Word Thursday of this program. We're spotlighting the Vikings with our friend Mike Wabshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, Vikings Team Channel here on TuneIn. Mike, of course, the Vikings have an abundance of playmakers, but what kind of difference maker could Michael Floyd be, if at all, down the stretch? Yeah, that, that's interesting because we have Kyle Rudolph on the injury report this week. And, um, you know, Kyle obviously is a tight end. Michael Floyd is a wide receiver, but you look at Michael Floyd's body type. He's a little bigger than most receivers. And you look at Kyle Rudolph's body type. He's a little more wide receiver like than most tight ends. So I think Pat Shermer, if he wanted to, could get a little creative in terms of how, if, if Kyle Rudolph cannot play, how do you replace his production and how do you replace that role in the offense? And I wonder if Michael Floyd could maybe do that. He's a bigger body. He can get it involved in the blocking game. If you want to use bunch formations and Rudy can't go. So you want that bigger body in front of a bunch formation. Maybe you can use Michael Floyd um, in that way. But you know, the Rudolph injury, notwithstanding, I think Michael Floyd um, who has not been a regular factor for the Vikings offense, you know, he's played in some big games in his career. I mean, he was on the Patriots roster for the Super Bowl run last year, and he was with Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, and Bruce Arians in Arizona when they went on a, a little bit of a playoff run a few years ago. I think there's some value in, in having a guy like Michael Floyd on the roster, especially if injuries are going to be a factor, and especially as you get ready to play these big games. But, you know, you guys, um, you know, if you were at training camp, you would have seen what I saw. I mean, Michael Floyd was really good in training camp. And then he had the four-game suspension that he had to serve, and I think that really kind of um, disrupted his rhythm with our offense. 
You mentioned something uh, earlier, which I think is a big part of why this team did have success, and, and, and that's the offensive line. Players like the Riley Reefs, uh, the left tackle, offensive lineman, along with a few other players. Give me your take on, and it sounds like he wants to come back or he'll be able to be back this weekend, but give me your take on how they're going to actually fix this up front because that's been a big reason why the quarterback play has been able to be as good as it's been for Case Keenum is because they protected him, and if they can, because Cincinnati does have a a way of getting to the quarterback at times with their front four, uh, they can end up having another long day uh, against Mm -hmm. a team that that we all can say uh, that we think they should beat. Yeah. I think the big way to do it is to get the running game more in the mix because in the second half at Carolina last week, we only had five runs. So we got, that's why I said we got a little left-handed, but what happened was, you know, we went into the game without Mike Remmers at right tackle. So we had our backup right tackle playing and without Pat Elfline. So we moved our starting left guard to center. So now we're playing with a backup left tackle and a backup left guard and a backup center, you know, in the game, and, and and really a backup right tackle. So we had to put Danny Isadora, a rookie, in at left guard. He's our third left guard. So I mean, we really got shuffled in the game once we lost Reef. Now I think they'll be able to practice all week with the offensive line that they think they're going to have, and I think that will allow them to run the ball because I think we got away from the run because we weren't right up front and we weren't um, we hadn't rehearsed the running plays with the guys in the spots that they were playing in the game. So I think this week they'll, they'll have every, the offensive line set, even though Reef may not play, but they'll practice all week with their offensive line. Hopefully Elf line will be back. Now I think the running game can be more of a factor and that will help protect Case Keenum. Um, and then when you get into those passing situations, the third and longs or the two-minute drills, um, you know those guys are just going to have to they're going to have to buck up and, and protect better than they did last week. I think that it just it comes down to you got to block your guy, and um, and we missed a few of those blocks last week, which was uncharacteristic. But I think the biggest thing is the running game, and and making sure that is involved in the game plan. And that you don't go away from it this week like you had to last week when you lost alignment in the middle of the game. Mike, great information as always. Enjoy the matchup against the Bengals on Sunday, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Yeah, I look forward to it too. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Long count. Matthews got it. Wants to throw. Looks right. Comes middle. Throws. It is caught. Take five. Take two. Take one. To the end zone. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Hi, Lions fans. It's me, Tori Petrie. Hey, it's me, Lomas Brown here. We're the hosts of the Tori and Lomas podcast right here on TuneIn. found the angle to the house, and the Lions are right back in it. Tune in on Wednesdays as we break down the Lions' last game and preview the game coming up. We'll see you there. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for the latest installment of the Fantasy Fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. And he goes to the near side, and it's picked up. Intercepted. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy Fix. 
Let's say hello to a good friend of the program, Dennis Farrell, Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, we know things are getting more intense with the Fantasy Semifinals. If you needed a wide receiver, what's your confidence level in playing Demarius Thomas tonight? I like Thomas a lot more than I like Q.I. Hilton tonight, if that gives you any indication. I have Demarius just inside my top 20. I have him ranked a little bit higher than Mike Evans and Josh Gordon, but just under Marvin Jones at about 17. Dennis, Robert Woods is is coming off of a a sprained shoulder, uh, but give me your take on the impact he'll have returning on Sammy Watkins and Cooper Cup. You know what? I think Cup is going to be untouched. I think you see his role continue to stay the same. He's just kind of the go-to third down guy. Now, Watkins, I'm afraid, will disappear yet again. And, you know, he came out of hibernation when Woods went down, and it was great for people who owned him or picked him up off the waiver wire. But now that Woods is back, I am not playing Sammy Watkins at all. I feel like things will go back to the way it was before the injury. Dennis, we know the Houston defense has been battered by injuries, yet how concerned are you that Leonard Fournette of the Jaguars missed practice for the second consecutive day with a quad injury? Yeah, this is the same injury that seems to bug him the last couple of weeks, but he still produces, and we're starting to see this now, and you know, Cordell can probably attest to this. You see a lot of guys starting to miss practice later in the year where analysts like us kind of freak out, and it's just to kind of keep them fresh and not aggravate an injury in the practice. So I kind of think that's what we're seeing is, sure, he's bothered by a little bit something, but uh, Antonio Brown, what, two weeks ago, where we all thought he was going to miss Monday Night Football because he missed two, what, late practices. He ends up playing, you know, has a great game. It's kind of along those lines. Kelvin Benjamin is back on board, uh, getting a little healthier. Uh, we know there won't be any snow like we saw in this last game playing against the Indianapolis Colts, but how do you see him this week against the Dolphins? Yeah, boy, it's so hard to tell with that offense. I, I want to like him a lot, but it depends on who you have in your lineup. Uh, I might play him over Sterling Shepard against Philadelphia. You could probably make a little bit of a case for uh, like a Marquez Lee, but uh, around there, I'm not going to try to push him into my lineup. You know, I would probably play him over Sammy Watkins or Deshaun Jackson. So about the wide receiver 40 range, probably I'd play him over Ted Ginn Jr. too. So around that area is where I would try to force him if you had that decision to make. It's the Fantasy Fix with Dennis Farrell from Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, where are you slotting Alex Collins of the Ravens as we are now in a very critical time in fantasy football. Is he miss must start, especially if you're looking at the matchup on the road against winless Cleveland this week? Yeah, I have him at number 10 overall this week. I actually have him over Kareem Hunt, uh, over Carlos Hyde, over Jamal Williams with a Carolina matchup. So a, a 10 is probably a must start. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been tweeting me, you know, Alex Collins or, you know, Drake from Miami. I'd probably go Drake over Collins. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go Collins over Hyde and Carlo, Col- Collins over Lynch. But, you know, you get around Burkhead, maybe I'd play Burkhead over Collins. So that's, that's about where I'm ranking him as a running back this week. If Joe Mixon returns, uh, do you go back to, to starting him this week against the Vikings, or is it too tough of a matchup? Boy, it's too tough of a matchup. But yet again, you know, 
in fantasy, it's what other dogs you have on the bench that you can run with. And if you have Joe Mixon on your bench, even with a, a matchup that's not quite favorable, you know, I'd probably play him over Deion Lewis, over Mike Davis. Everybody's chomping at the bit to get in. I'd probably play Alfred Morris over him, but I'd play him over JGIA. And I think a kind of a Lamar Miller, I would play him over Lamar Miller, who has a equal bad matchup. Talking fantasy football with Dennis Farrell from Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, let me be transparent. I am the number one member of the Aaron Rodgers fan club. I think he's the best quarterback in all of football, understanding Tom Brady is the more accomplished quarterback. He's back. Are you starting him this week against the tough Carolina defense? Man, I wish I knew what to expect out of him, in all honesty. You know, you have a quarterback coming back, and maybe we look at what happened every time Tony Romo came back from this injury you know, midseason. I, I want to jump on the bandwagon, and I want to play him. The matchup is, is a little bit scary. Is he in there just to scare that defense off the run, and you know they're going to run the ball a little bit more and take a couple shots? I'm not sure what the game plan is here. I, I, I think it's risky. Everybody says, you know, why are you putting them out there at 80% where another bad fall on that shoulder could re-injure it? So, you know, Carolina, I might have to back down a little bit, and I want to play him. I think this is going to be great for everybody else around him. But, you know, if I have Matt Ryan, I might play Matt Ryan over him. Uh, I would probably play Aaron Rodgers over a Matthew Stafford, keeping that in mind. So, boy, you know, that game, it comes down to game plan. And I'm a little bit worried about, you know, how they're going to handle Aaron Rodgers coming back and keeping him upright. I thought this move by the 49ers getting Jimmy Garoppolo was probably one of the best moves I've seen happen uh, in the trade in a very long time, even though it was the last minute. Uh, But give me your take uh, on the receivers. Ever since he's gotten in, uh, have you seen a change with them? And and do you single out any of of those receivers? You know, Goodwin is probably the only guy I'm really hopping on that I would feel like you could honestly play at a consistent level. Other than that, you see a little bit of Tom Brady in him. He likes to move the ball around. He's hitting all kinds of different receivers. I really think this trade was great for them. He He's really looking like a quarterback of the future. If, if you actually watched any of that game last week, I was blown away. And especially, you know, thrown for 334 yards, right. the one TD, and he almost had another touchdown. I, I'm almost tempted to play him over Cam Newton this week, but boy, I'm, I, this is just me personal and my fantasy team. So I'm, I have a tough, you know, look myself in the mirror decision to make. Finally, Dennis, even though you've become a great friend of the program, we have to vet all of our fantasy analysts. How have you done in your fantasy football competition this year, including that league in which you hobnob with all the Hollywood A-listers? So out of four leagues this year, I made the playoffs in three of them. I got bounced out of the first round in one of them, and I'm still alive in two of them. And I think I'm going to have an exit in my keeper league, which I've been pretty beat up, but I'm still holding strong. You could have lied, Dennis. I wasn't going to look up your track record. You could have said you're on the way to win the championship in all four. I was going to, but I think you would have called BS on me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but we believe in the power of kayfabe on this program. Dennis, great information. Always good luck in your fantasy football semifinals. We'll chat with you next week. 
Yes, sir. Thanks, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind. With a short attention span, we're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And beaming out across all of space and time. This is Star Talk. Where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's dive deeper into the Thursday night matchup between the Broncos and the Colts, spotlighting our original team player, Broncos linebacker Vaughn Miller. It's NFL No Huddle, spotlighting the stars of the game who played their hearts out for one team their entire career. It's the original team player, presented by Miller Lite. Cordell, the Broncos selected Vaughn Miller with the number two overall pick in the 2011 draft coming out of Texas A&M. When you look at Miller physically, what's the skill set that makes him so dynamic? It's the speed coming off the edge. Um, it's the, the, the low center of gravity when running on the edge against these big, huge, averaging 6'5 type tackles. Uh, that he goes up against on a consistent basis in his little frame of 6'3", 250 pounds. He gets really low down to the ground, and and he dips that shoulder, whichever one um, he's on, whatever side, if he's on the right side, he dips the left shoulder. If he's on the left side, he dips the right shoulder, and he just gets upfield, and he closes the pocket really, really, really quick. Um, when you think of DeMarcus Ware, uh, when he had the opportunity to play with him in Denver, they both did a phenomenal job. Where Ware was doing that when he was in Dallas. So to couple those two together on that defensive line and when they made their Super Bowl run, uh, they were the better two tandems in the National Football League. But I think it all started with Von Miller because he was really, really, really quick off the edge. And and if you think of the things that he's accomplished so far this year, I think he's gotten up to 10 sacks so far this year, uh, which is pretty darn good. Uh, when it comes down to what he does as far as the pressures are concerned. Uh, Solo tackles, he's at 47, um, which is, I think, second best on his team uh, behind a Justin Simmons. Um, But he's playing some really good football, and he's the callus of what they actually do on this football team, whether it's assists, uh, whether it's uh, just applying that type of pressure and having to have two players playing on him at one time, it opens the doors for the other players to be able to step up and make those types of plays. So Vaughn Miller, that was John Elway's very first pick when he became the GM for the Denver Broncos. And I don't think his style of play has let the Denver Broncos nor John Elway down yet. Focusing on Vaughn Miller, he's today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. 
You referenced the Super Bowl run, and we attended Super Bowl 50 together, Santa Clara in Northern California. I know the bromide. You win as a team, you lose as a team. But if I take you back to that Super Bowl season, is it fair to say Miller individually deserves the majority of credit in the Super Bowl? He was sensational. Half and a dozen tackles, two and a half sacks, forcing two fumbles in the earned Super Bowl MVP honors. Rarely does a defensive player shine that much in the biggest game of them all. Well, you have to give him credit, but I think it was a collective effort by all those players. I mean, if you don't have wear on the other side, then then what do you have? Who Who's going to help apply that pressure? It was just a matter of seeing who can get there the quickest. And, and, and I think DeMarcus Ware said it a lot of times. You know, when, when, when it was time to get to that quarterback, what would he say? He would say it's Miller time. So this is a perfect segment to talk about Von Miller and the things that they've done together when it comes down to, to DeMarcus Ware and, and how they play well together. But uh, it's not just him. I mean, you have Derek Wolf that was in the middle, uh, along with that receiving core and Aqib Tlaib being a new addition to that football team and, and helping them um, bring back the old ways of playing, going all the way back to Steve Atwater and those guys that was on that defense way back when. Uh, and that's back in the 90s. But... Um, it, it was it was a season to watch, I would say, when it came down to, to Von Miller and what he was able to do, but he shined even better on the bigger stage, and that was in Super Bowl 50 when playing out in Santa Clara against the Carolina Panthers. And, I mean, right out the gate, it ended up being, uh, I think, a fumble, uh, and someone else ended up recovering it. It wasn't Von Miller. It was someone else that recovered it. Uh, but that team ended up starting out extremely well, and uh, they finished very, very strong, ended up having a chance to to get in. I don't even think Von Miller went to Disney, did he? I think he kind of reneged on that one. He just sat back and said, I'm not about that. I just wanted to get a ring and just want to hang out and, you know, work with my, my, my eyeglass company that I have and wear, you know, different sets of frames every every time you see me with my chains on and my cowboy hat and just just relax and have a good time. So the good thing is he just loves to mind his business and do his thing. And when he does do it, he does it very well. Vaughn Miller is today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. Let's wrap it up with what's going on this year. And you touched on some of the names from the past and that great Super Bowl team, DeMarcus Ware. He's not there anymore. T.J. Ward has moved on. Malik Jackson's playing in Jacksonville. But Cordell, this team still has our friend Aqib Tlaib and Vaughn Miller. Are you surprised the defense has not played better this year? Well, when you have the deficiencies on offense, I think you play out of your scheme of what you do, which is applying a tremendous amount of pressure and allowing your front four along with a a few stunts by the linebackers. It really frees up the no-fly zone, and and that's the secondary of this defense. But when you see the quarterbacks not being able to do what they need to do, the, the offensive line not protecting them, nor even creating holes in the running game, along with the injuries, now you have a defense that that's having to be submissive uh, to how they actually go about their business, which is let's just have a bend but don't break mentality, but we can't do what we do best, which is get after the quarterback because arguably one of the quicker defenses in the National Football League. They're undersized when it comes to teams like the Carolina Panthers, uh, I would say teams like even the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Dallas Cowboys, uh, they're more undersized guys. That's why you see Yvonne Miller at 6'3", 250 pounds, allegedly could be more or even less as far as the weight is concerned. And, and I think it's taking a toll on them. And, and this never have been a team that, that wants to be methodical and saying, OK, we're going to let you drive the, the, the ball down the field on us you know, for maybe of the 80 yards, we'll give you 65 and force you to kick a field goal. No. 
we're applying pressure. We all or nothing. You know, Wade Phillips had him just running upfield uh, like they're a bunch of madmen, creating sacks in the backfield to fumbles being created, tackles for losses, uh, to even uh, having coverage sacks to coverage interceptions. They don't have that anymore because their offense is not capable of staying on the field long enough to get points. So now they're playing out of character. And so now that they're playing out of character, they don't look like that that defense and that secondary being a no-fly zone. It doesn't look like that. It looked like everyone can land from the biggest plane to the smallest. Matter of fact, helicopters can even land back there in that secondary. So um, that's the reason. It's not that the team is not good enough as far as the defense is concerned. I think they're trying to play makeup uh, and be more protective uh, than they are being aggressive and going after it like we've been accustomed to seeing them do over the years. Certainly the Colts will be very mindful of where Vaughn Miller is on the field. Coming off the edge tonight on Thursday Night Football, Vaughn Miller, today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. This original team player segment has been presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. NFL No Huddle will be back right after this. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and St. Pum returns, and I can't believe he caught that, look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer. To be enjoyed from pregame to the postgame, it's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to tell you what we are more than sure is going to happen on Thursday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. 4-9 Denver on the road at 3-10 Indianapolis. Colts have lost four straight games. Denver's coming off an important victory in terms of just salvaging some pride down the stretch over the Jets. Here is Vaughn Miller and the challenge of the road team playing on a short week. You know, every team in the National Football League has to deal with it. It's just, you know, part of the game. Um, Coach VJ has done a great job of, you know, keeping us fresh and keeping, you know, the game mental this week. I think, you know, that's what every you know, smart head coach you do if you, you know, you're playing on Thursday, you want to get your team fresh, and that's exactly what we're over here doing. Cordell, we have two minutes left in the program. Who's going to win tonight and why? What stands out to you? The good news is one of these teams is going to win a game, and that's going to help them just have a little bit of a better tally when we get to the end of the regular season. Well, I tell you what, one thing we know, this game will not have to be concerned with the blizzard they played in when playing against the Bills uh, but I'll say this. Even though I know Chuck Pagano may be on the hot seat and there may be plans for someone else to fill in that void, I think this team in the Denver Broncos uh, trying to find their way to, to get more than one victory because it was a needed victory they got as of lately. Uh, but I see this football team, this defense, getting after Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I see this offense uh, being able to produce some type of production uh, that's needed regardless who's playing at the quarterback position. But, of course, we know it's Trevor Simeon. Um, I'll say this. This is a bad game to pick. (laughs) 
to be honest with you, because both these teams are struggling. I'm going with the home team. I'm just going with Vance Joseph. I'm going with that defense with Von Miller, Aqib Tlaib, and everyone else that's on it. Derek Wolf, whoever else is, whoever's not healthy, whoever is healthy on this team, I'm going with the Denver Broncos. Plain and simple, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And a reminder, the Bad game's in Indy. But I'm going Does with that you. factor in at all? The game's in Indy. That's what I said. They have to play in the blizzard. Okay. They're, just, they're lucky just, they're not playing clarify. in the blizzard. Okay. Yeah, I mean that, that's the good thing about it. Even though they are playing in, even though they are playing in Indy, it doesn't matter when it comes to Indianapolis Colts. They play great football, but I'm still going with that defense. I'm still going with the offense. I'm still going Ben Joseph. I'm going with the home team. This is a tough game to pick because both teams are bad. But I'll go with the team that I think has the better opportunity because of Vaughn Miller and the rest of the players they have on that defense. I think they hold this offense back. Um, Frank Gore, I like him. Great numbers. Potential Hall of Famer down the road, but. I'm going with Vance Joseph in this game. I'm with Broncos you. And team. Vance could use a few more wins just to make sure he has some job security capping his first season on the sidelines for the Broncos. Denver wins the game 21-14. Enjoy the matchup on TuneIn Premium. We'll break it down tomorrow right here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.